You're listening to Black Neon Digital Podcast, episode 22, Karen Franklin, from ID Magazine to Professor of Diverse Selfhood. Welcome to Black Neon Digital Podcasts. I'm your host, Joe Demuta Hamilton, the founder of Black Neon Digital, and I believe the future of fashion is to honour craftsmanship whilst embracing innovation and to support each other to build businesses that have integrity. The entrepreneurs and visionaries who we speak to are using fashion as a way to create change, finding new ways of working towards a more sustainable and connected fashion industry. Karen Franklin is a fashion icon who guides the British fashion industry in remarkable ways. At ID Magazine, as fashion editor and co-editor, Karen made fashion exciting, real, honest and accessible. During the clothes show, she opened up fashion to all, reaching audiences of 13 million in the UK and 157 million worldwide at a time before social media. A prolific campaigner using fashion as a platform to raise awareness of issues such as AIDS, breast cancer and mental health, Karen encourages us to step beyond our own world. Inviting us to celebrate uniqueness, embrace a female journey, and excited about the current conversations around gender nonconformity, Karen encourages us to look further, think more deeply, and find joy in our conversations. This podcast is extremely special because we talked to Karen Franklin, and yes, she's amazing, but it's also the first time we've opened up the conversation and invited listeners to send us their questions ahead of recording the interview. We want to understand what is important to you and also learn from you. So thank you to our first ever listener question from Michelle Ballou, a portrait photographer and creative director based in New York. Thank you for having us today here, Karen. Um, it's a real honour for me to be sat with you. Um, you know, my own journey into fashion wouldn't be the same without you, to be quite honest. Um, apart from Fenwick and Newcastle, I kind of used to come to the NEC Clothes Show Live in Birmingham. Um, and it kind of opened up the world to it's not just about couture fashion for me. So thanks for that initially. Um, we kind of tried something a little bit different this time around and opened up um, to listener questions. So I'd just like to sort of honour that and kick that off first, which is um, it's from a, a lady who's a portrait photographer based in New York, a lady called Michelle Ballou. Um, and I hope I've said that right, Michelle. Um and she would like to know what can be done to make the sustainability movement as a whole more inclusive, more black and brown humans, more variants in body types and abilities, honestly more men, especially straight men. Sustainability and ethical production is more than thin, able-bodied white women. It has to be. How do you encourage that across the board? Well, um, thank you for that, Michelle, um, because um, you have hit on the head, really, a question that many of us in fashion are asking ourselves and certainly as someone who has um, been very vocal about uh, issues of emotional sustainability um, not really realizing that I was talking about it in that way thinking about the all of the the people involved in the, the cycle of working in fashion I have come to the conclusion that you know in order to shift the mindset of the people who do power it's not theirs but they certainly take it and do it to other people and um 
that we have to incentivize them with the benefits of a more diverse offer. And so I've been doing that um, in a couple of ways. Um, and I certainly talk uh, to kind of creatives or leaders, make presentations and focus on the benefits that you have when you have a diverse team with diverse perspectives. There's a, um, a professor, Richard Crisp, has, has dedicated quite a lot of his working career to finding out about those benefits, being able to say that there is you know, greater levels of productivity, efficacy um, and creativity, and that all points towards better profits. Mm. Um, and also, it, you know, if we look at the way in which we're reaching out to the audience, is uh, studies also report that when um, we engage with an image or a portrayal, we uh, make a bond through shared characteristics. So we need to see ourselves reflected, um, all ages, sizes, skin tones, and gender identities. And when we do that, we show an increased intention to purchase by 300%. So when we can give this information to businesses, that's what mm. I see light up the eyes of a lot of middle-aged leaders. Yeah. Um, and certainly telling them that it will be better for mental health, it will be better for the planet, doesn't really seem to have the mm. same impact as saying you will show um, increased productivity yeah. and therefore and better profits. profits. And yeah, basically hitting them where they most care about. Absolutely. Yeah, okay. That makes sense. Thank you. <laughs> um, I just wanted to talk a bit about um, sort of your time at ID magazine and then also because, I, you know, the resurgence of the magazine and kind of how from the beginning of the magazine it's always been an alternative, more accessible view, slightly challenging things differently. Um, what do you feel that fashion media and, and publications like ID should be looking at now and what's our biggest um, fashion issue or fashion moment um, at this present time? Um, um, so I'll answer the first bit yeah. <laughs> um, first. <laughs> um, obviously, ID was hugely formative for me. I began in 1982 and I stayed there till 1988. And I was looking at uh, a sort of a developing UK fashion industry our first London Fashion Week was in 1984 and so I was surrounded in the clubs that was our social networking by young creatives designers musicians stylists and I saw a living catwalk in front of me that I then wanted to put into ID and certainly when designers like Body Map first hit the catwalk that's what they did their clubland friends their mums, their aunties, you know, seeing women on, with grey hair on the catwalk back then was normalised for me. And so it was uh, a time in which I was really able to experience fashion and its power to celebrate uh, and serve all humans. Mm -hmm. And so I never thought of fashion as anything different. And I've always taken that initial experience courtesy of ID and Terry Jones uh, and all of the team and the people around at that time with me. And what I see now as being, I suppose, one of the, the biggest challenges that we all 
need to face are, are twofold that I, that I mentioned in my answer previously to Michelle, is that when we think of sustainability, it's not just materials and resourcing, it's also emotional sustainability, so that we're strong enough and resilient enough to push back. And we're not occupying a, a fearful position that if we speak out, we will lose our mm. job. So um, certainly how that manifests for me is often trying to empower the next generation of creatives to feel angry about um, you know, the, the planet that they're about to inherit and, and fashion complicity in that, but to feel safe to not to feel they have to uh, change the world, it's not possible, to feel safe to go into industry and to be taking jobs in you know, a variety of positions to learn what's, what's out there before they, they feel able to say, that doesn't feel right to me. Is anybody else in the room thinking that we could approach this differently you know not being combative but ab absorbing what's going on in mainstream fashion so that you're in a position to come up with a better solution you know I'm very excited about what the next generation of um, kind of diverse minds will do yeah how how can we support them so you know as a professor of diversity, as an educator, as a, a fashion leader, how can we support that younger generation? Um, what tools, what kind of, you know, I did sort of, yeah, just how, how can we help them? <laughs> I took myself off and did a Master of Science in Applied Psychology so that I could apply it to my experience in fashion and see the areas where... We were the obstacles seemed to be immovable, and once I began to learn about you know sort of cognitive process, the way the mind accumulates information to um, to present bias and assumption almost to itself, mm. because in order for us to function in the way that we do, we have to always reach back into our heads for um, you know previously experienced knowledge, and that's how stereotypes. Form. So one of the things that I decided to do was, you know, in, in my lectures, I would approach the subject of diverse selfhood from a variety of different positions, from the way in which we need to experience it and feel um, that we can celebrate our uniqueness and feel that we are good enough in an uncertain world, not that we're certain we're not good enough because the brain likes certainties so it often moves over into that space it doesn't like to sit in a position of uncertainty but that's something actually that could be seen as a neutral position mm. not a negative position to be uncertain because it means you're thinking mm. it means you're looking at what's around you so supporting the individual um and and obviously flagging up resilience tools, emotional intelligence tools from the world of psychology, but then looking at how that individual is able to go forward and make small changes just in the choices that they roll out every day mm -hmm. to prioritise diverse perspectives. And, and if we forgive ourselves for the limited knowledge that we have, you know, uh, here sit I, you know, white female, um, cis, het, um, middle class, 
able-bodied. So my experience of my of of life is through my own privileged position and I forgive myself for not knowing everything there is out there to know. We're now lucky that there is so much information coming forward um, for us to do the work, mm. not to be outsourcing and bringing in others to do that emotional labour, but for us to say, I'm not well enough informed about this, so I need to be, I need to bring myself up to speed. So, you know, uh, when we know that the brain is naturally inclined to bias and it comfort recruits and we seem to gather in groups where we're all like-minded um, and uh, we understand that that simply doesn't inform creativity or pro-social progress, we've immediately got the motivation to step outside of our comfort zones and seek a broader knowledge. And that's a life quest mm. You know, I, I have a practice, really, that's coming up to 40 years. And a big part of my joy and my passion has been about meeting people who have different experiences from me and who will, will help me understand better. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm very excited about the current conversations around gender nonconformity and... Uh, um, sort of non-cis or trans identities, um, where that takes us, that we're seeing playing out parents choosing to bring up their babies as, as babies and for gender not to be this, this kind of big social mm -hmm. set of rules and expectations that's parked up in the house the minute the, the baby's genitals are revealed and I, I, you know, I can so see how that could be beneficial because all we are really is a collection of learned assumptions mm. and we, we all could do better and break out of that. Mm. And I, yeah, as, as a mother, you kind of think about all these things all the time as well, you know, you have to, um, like my son came after my daughter, so there's loads of girl stuff in the house and we've not really bought him anything like boyish as you would want to call it but he plays with her toys very differently to she did and you know you can sort of see things and then you know as a role as a mother do you then encourage that or you know what I mean it's quite it's an interesting thing from such a young age and to be very conscious of um I'm just wondering as well do you so how we've we've come to know this term fashion activism a lot more uh, recently, but I, I mean fundamentally that's what you've been doing forever. Um, you know, through the breast cancer awareness, eighties kind of every you know everything that you've done is essentially that. Um, can you explain what fashion campaigning, fashion activism, kind of this real movement towards something? What is that for you? So I think it's simply about being um, invested in what I'm doing and how it touches people. I think I'm in fashion because I like people um, and I am interested in what people want to say about themselves and what I can learn from them in that exchange. I'm one of life's extroverts, so life goes on outside of my head, you know, bouncing off other people. Um, I'm never happier than if I 
if someone will let me ask them about their lives and what they've learned and what, what, how did they overcome their struggles. So that is how I seem to combine uh, a sort of, I don't know, innate interest in proportions, silhouettes, accessories and identity um, with the bodies that would be inside those mm. clothes, how they felt. And so from very early on, I saw the power of fashion because of working on, well, certainly working on ID and the comments and feedback we would get, but then going on to work uh, at the BBC to do the clothes show, which for 12 years, you know, I had a prime time slot. Yeah. Um, we had you know, at our height audiences of 13 million, but through BBC World Service, we went into the homes of 157 yeah. million. It's and so when we made something on the clothes show that was a sort of pro-social, please make a you know a contribution, come and be a stakeholder in this, we saw massive change. And so certainly Fashion Targets Breast Cancer, set up by Ralph Lauren and begun in the mid-90s, is a brilliant example yeah. of that, where the fashion industry all pulled together. And so I'm just always looking for an opportunity in whatever I do to say something to um, enhance and celebrate people's confidence and self-esteem. That seems to me the two go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. How do you think, um, I was just thinking about the power of that reach of the Glow Show Live. What would that be like now? How, how would that look now? Could we do it now? You know? Because that would be the best thing on earth, right? <laughs> <laughs> Close Show was very much of its time. Yeah. And Close Show Live was a, a sort of extremely popular event that was a spin-off, mm -hmm. which Jeff Banks um, created with the recognition that people wanted to be immersed in fashion. So from, 18, from 1989, we had this sort of massive event. People couldn't go to a catwalk show, but they saw them on our programme and wanted to experience that. We made this huge catwalk that it that had an audience of six thousand we used to do that eight nine times a day and it would like be like being in a pop stadium and so the emotions that people experienced as mm. part of that were massive um but time has changed people often come up to me and say could we have the clothes mm. show back but there were only four tv channels then mm. and there wasn't digital channels there wasn't any uh, platform in which people could start up with ideas and and niche commentary and narrative and the clothes show worked because there was nothing else and because we were aware that our audience existed on a very wide scale a spectrum of, mm. of identities and we did our best to reach out to them but it, it so you you couldn't do a program mm. like that in this day and age yeah in fashion I don't think mm. <laughs> we could try. Um, <laughs> just going back a little bit to um, basically identity politics. Can you explain what that is? So what it what what is identity politics for people that don't know, and and why the two together policy politics? Like how how does that come together? It's different things for different people, yeah. isn't it? But for me, it's about the sort of psychosocial development of a human being through the messages they receive about their identity, which is given to them by, um, you know, simply by their family, by their faith, by their geography, by their culture, by their 
uh, education, by their experiences, by their gender and their skin tone, their, how their body operates. So we all start to experience an idea of who we are based on how other people are receiving us. So we, we're, we're wanting to emerge from that to say, I will, be, I will define myself. And that clothes come back to is how that, they're so powerful for that and how we can orchestrate and curate our identity through the choices that we make. And so for me, bringing fashion into my life on my own terms has been a very simple, easy thing to do. But I know that many women feel observed and policed mm -hmm. and objectified and restrained um, by our cultural view of, of appearance for women. And I'm just using that as one example and, and where white women feel it, women of colour feel it much, much more. And so having those conversations about identity as part of clothing and fashion, for me, they've gone hand in hand. Which is also leads into the sort of project that you did with Tatum Jones and the womanhood um, thing that I talked to Catherine about last time. Um, and I remember specifically it said um, that in one of the tops, I'm, I define myself as embroidered within it and kind of looking at the silhouettes and everything is quite, quite interesting that came from that conversation about womanhood. Um, just wondering, could you, speaking about womanhood and the female <laughs> journey... Um, probably won't go into it too much on it but um kind of I started thinking about menopause very early on after I just had my son which was like two years ago um and yeah it just kind of cropped up and I, I started googling I thought you know I want some advice and information from someone that I trust someone who who I would respect you know not just some random google doctor thing and I came across an article about menopause that you'd written and it wasn't like a harrowing story it wasn't scary it was something that I thought oh wow this is an amazing article and actually you know I just thought oh I might actually be looking forward to menopause is that weird <laughs> is that not weird I've kind of parked that thought for the time being because I'm a bit too like maybe I'm a bit young I don't know but the point is you know we look to different people for guidance and I think aside from fashion you know you have a voice on a lot of different areas so could you explain um you know the sort of female mother kind of guiding element to your work as well and why you would write an article on menopause for example <laughs> the reason I did that was because I couldn't find any information yeah. and so um I think women my age are in a unique position because we are the first generation who have experienced amazing health care right the way through our lives, and we expect so much more. Plus, we're in the workplace in a way that my mother's generation wasn't. And so if they were experiencing hormonal turbulence, it kind of went unnoticed, certainly by work colleagues, because they could stay in the home on an off day. And so what I wanted to do was reassure other women that this process of withdrawal in the same way that it begins in adolescence where you are deluged mm. by these such powerful magical but difficult to manage hormones that produce all kinds of physical and emotional um, outcomes 
so too will you be mm. as it withdraws because it withdraws quite quickly mm. um, obviously no two women's experiences are the same so and that can have unusual effects one of the things that it did to me was my memory was just shot to pieces and with that my vocabulary and I like to have control of my words I like to be able to think about what I want to say and edit it and speak it and I lost that ability, which meant that I became very um, uncertain and anxious and nervous about what each day would bring professionally. Mm. I was safe in my own house. and My daughters played all sorts of guessing games to get me to the end of a sentence. I didn't like that, mm. but I didn't feel that society would judge me in that way. But I couldn't understand why this was happening, and I thought it was mental illness. So I wanted to say to women, you will experience some turbulence, but if you know that it leads to a real parting of the clouds, a clarity the other side about what you've just been through and where you've just been, and with that, a better, uh, a different understanding of yourself, because as those hormones recede, you stop feeling the need to be the nurturer and the caregiver and the person who overextends themselves at all times to facilitate others and some of that energy um, is for you to absorb and so it does give you a second or third wind mm. in a way where you you have a sort of roll up your sleeve moment and and go right while I'm still healthy and now I'm just thinking about what I want to achieve um, in my journey into cronehood. And I say that very deliberately because cronehood has been given a very negative spin by heteropatriarchy. But if you ask women my age, we would give it a very positive mm. spin because we do have all our smarts, we do have our health, and we can see what's happening in the world. Mm. And that's the time for us to make our voices heard. Would you say then it's given you another chapter to your work, to your professional life as well, like a different slant on it? I definitely have very clear goals that I feel that I want to achieve before time runs out. Now, whether or not I can make those happen um, in a sort of collaborative way in the workplace is another mm -hmm. uh, thing. But I can see an end to when I might step away. Mm -hmm. And so there are things I want to tick off. And so, yes, I can be quite like, I haven't got time for that. Mm -hmm. I need to focus on this. And um, certainly my husband has noticed a difference in me in the, and even my former business partner in that I've become more impatient I don't know if that's a good thing or not, because I thought I was very impatient before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about today, particularly? In light of, I don't know, just off air, we were talking about actually Extinction Rebellion and kind of like the power of yeah, campaigning and youth and what's happened or... I, yeah, I, I would like to <laughs> just kind of finish on something, yeah. really, which, which maybe is, you know, we're all part of a process. So there are some amazing people that have educated me, men and women, you know, let's not... Uh, and people's perspectives and their learning and their experience, you know, that's 
kind of what I am really, the sum total of the people who have already done a lot of research. So yeah, it could be academics and scholars. It could be people like Jean Kilburn, who's been speaking out about the objectification of women in the media for 20, 30 years now. Um, and it could be people like Professor Crisp who have given me really extra information to work with CEOs and leverage change. Um, I'm really excited about what I've just found out from a forensic psychologist uh, to do with bias and to do with the way that the legal system is set up and jury decision-making is set up. And so there's information that I feel I want to get into the system in a coherent way and spread it as much as I can. But I'm also really excited about the new perspectives that are coming through that mean that I'm looking at my own position and thinking, oh, I've got a lot of work to do to learn what I'm being shown by people who are, you know, 35 years younger than me. Um, and so, you know, yesterday was a case in point being at the all-party parliamentary group on diversity and inclusion in the fashion industry in which um, certainly we had uh, you know, people from all walks of life um, and gender, uh, race, experience, age to, to come together to showcase just how complicated it is being a human being when you are marginalised by dominant culture perspectives and it's it, those people the same as Extinction Rebellion that passion of youth um, is it, certainly something that I have huge hopes for Thank you Thanks to Karen our eyes and hearts are wide open inspiring us to go beyond the surface of fashion beyond our own comfort zones and seek out what we do not yet know Karen's passion for people and learning is incredible and it seems like she's about to take it to the next level. I can't wait to see what that turns out like. Till next time, be sure to join the conversation via Instagram at Black Neon Digital, Twitter at Digital Neon and online at blackneondigital.com. Digital.com.